Coming up on this episode of The Social Hour, Amber and I are talking with Julian Smith, the founder of Breather. It's kind of like an Airbnb for office space. We'll explain all that and more coming up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for The Social Hour is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is The Social Hour with Sarah Lane and Amber MacArthur, episode 160, recorded Thursday, May 1st, 2014. This episode of The Social Hour is brought to you by 99designs, the world's largest graphic design marketplace. 99designs connects businesses seeking quality, affordable designs with a community of more than 295,000 graphic designers. Visit 99designs.com slash social hour and receive a free power pack upgrade valued at $99. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Social Hour. It's episode 160, and in Petaluma, where it is very, very warm, I'm Sarah Lane. And I'm Amber MacArthur. I'm in Toronto, and I have to say it's really not so warm here. In fact, uh, this spring has been somewhat cold, and I think we are uh, below seasonal temperatures, I believe, and it hasn't been patio weather so much yet, Sarah, which is unfortunate because by now we depend on that, but uh, still cool. So send your warm air to us and we'll be very you happy. You can have it. I don't like sweating or fires <laughs> and there's a lot of both of those things in my neck of the woods right now. So, I'll do my best, Amber. Okay, we'll take your good. we'll take your warm weather <laughs> and you can take our mare. Sounds Does that sound good. <laughs> I don't want him. I really That's probably the last person I want to hang out. Darn with. it. I was so close. I think for a second you were like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that Sterling guy of the NBA. He might be a little bit worse uh, than Rob <laughs> Ford, but you know, it's a toss up at this point. You know, they're both it, pretty bad. All right, well, enough about that. Uh, let's get into uh, some of our social news. Uh, we're going to just start off with the news right off the top, although we do have a guest uh, a little bit later in the show who's going to be joining us uh, about halfway through the show. So let's start off, Amber, with um, big news from Facebook. They had their F8 uh, Developers Conference. It's an annual conference that's really for developers that are working with Facebook, but certainly affects Facebook users as a whole. And a ton of news uh, yesterday. They, they, they sort of went on and on. But I think maybe the biggest the biggest takeaway that I had from yesterday is the fact that when I log into an app uh, that I connect through with Facebook, up until now, sometimes people are confused are confused and a little um, uncertain about what they're sharing uh, with Facebook and that app, pulling data from 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 Facebook, birthday, friend list, that sort of thing. And Facebook's going to allow you to, at least for the the short term, uh, check in anonymously. Yeah, I think this is a great first move. I mean, we've been talking about the rise of anonymous apps and services over the past few weeks. So this makes a ton of sense for me. It happens to me all the time where I want to try out an app and I don't necessarily want to give up my information on Facebook. So the option to have this little button where it says log in anonymously and you can kind of test out the app, I think will be really interesting. It will also be interesting how exactly this works, Sarah, because there are so many apps that require information from Facebook. So I think it's going to be a bit hit and miss at first with some of the apps uh, where you'll be able to use this particular feature. But at the end of the day, it's interesting to see Facebook more concerned with the privacy of their users because we haven't seen that over the past few years. And that has been one of our biggest criticisms. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's interesting that Facebook has, I don't want to say Mark Zuckerberg and the team have done a 180 because I think it's its sort of just been a slow process 
in understanding how their, what, 1.2 billion users uh, like and don't like. But I think that if, if, if Facebook is looking at data and seeing that people do not want to use Facebook Connect because they have a perception that it means they have to share all of this personal information with an app that they're not even sure they're going to use more than a day or two, you know, a lot of apps you have to try them out before you before you really even understand how they work. If it's keeping people from using Facebook Connect, then Facebook, it's in their best interest to at least give people anonymity so that they continue to use Facebook. I mean, there, there's there, there's there's data that will be shared eventually if, if, if I download an app and end up liking it and then everybody wins. But it is... It's interesting to see that Facebook is like, okay, we just understand that too many people have privacy concerns for us to continue the way that we've been continuing. We have to build new tools for them. Yeah. And I mean, there were so many news headlines yesterday. I watched a little bit of the conference live and many of the head headlines were referring to the fact that, oh, is this the turning point for Facebook? Is this a time when they've grown up? You know, we know Mark Zuckerberg is uh, 30 or almost 30 and uh, the company has been around for a while. So a lot of people saying that this is really the beginning of a new phase for Facebook where they take privacy and information more seriously. And it, it did have that grown up feel as far as the conference. A lot of people putting too much emphasis, I think, on Zuckerberg not having a hoodie on, but not. Uh, Nonetheless, I'm not sure that reflects the grown-up part of uh, the conference, but other stuff I think does. Yeah, I, 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 I don't even think I would have even noticed either way. But I guess, yeah, that's uh, it's symbolic in some sort of a sense of, of of Mark Zuckerberg growing up as well. But it's important to remember that uh, you know Facebook is still going to track your activity. You know, the company doesn't lose by giving you anonymity. It just helps you be more anonymous to other people that you're connected with on third-party apps and on Facebook as well. So it's not a huge thing, but it does signify that Facebook is certainly listening to enough people who say, yeah, I don't like the way that Facebook Connect works. Uh, I need more options. So mm. it's nice for me to be able to say, you know, we were talking about birthdays, I think it was, uh, last week. We were talking about Tinder and the idea that you're yeah. sharing your real age with people because that's what you have to use on Facebook. And sometimes people don't realize what they're doing. To have more granular control over, hey, if I want uh, an app to post to my wall, but I really don't want an app to know how old I am, I have more options in that sense. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing for me. Yeah, I think it's a great thing for users. Uh, Facebook uh, also had a, another announcement over the past couple of days talking about uh, their messaging app and some improvements to this app. And we've touched on this app a little bit, Sarah. I think it kind of confuses people that there is a standalone app for Facebook Messenger because some people are still messaging within the Facebook environment. But uh, they've made some changes that allow you to more easily share images and videos. And I have been using the Messenger app. It's really slick. I, I know you like it as well. I think they did yeah. a really great job of it. And it's funny because I never, did any type of messaging within Facebook really. But now that I have the app, I'm doing a lot more. So I think they've also done a good job with the user experience of this app. Yeah, I think uh, I talked about this on i5 actually this week. If you if you haven't seen it, you should watch the episode. It's really good. But yeah, Facebook Messenger is, I agree with you, it's, it's well done. It's a nice app. And I think that I, I've heard, in fact, just the other day, somebody said something like, oh, Facebook Messenger. I mean, that's that would be the last way that I would communicate with somebody. And I was like, really? I... I don't think you have used the Messenger app because it's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, it's Facebook is pulling messaging out of its mobile experience. The Facebook app and the Messenger app are going to be two separate things. Now, of course, if you use the desktop version, the web version of Facebook, messaging is still part of that. So you could 
uh, go to Facebook.com in mobile Safari or something like that and still be able to have it all in one place. But Facebook is like, listen, this is just, they're better as two different products, even though it's all one experience. What's nice about it is that it's just populated with all the contacts that you already have on Facebook. And yeah, as you mentioned, there are better ways to communicate. Uh, if you share photos or videos, it's all sort of in line. Facebook used to have a little bit of a problem where it sort of seemed like you were going back and forth between Facebook and then the Messenger app. And they've got more emphasis on sticker packs, which is some people roll their eyes at. But it's, it's, it's again, competing with other popular messaging apps. And Amber, if I had to guess, I would say WhatsApp, which Facebook bought, uh, mm-hmm. which is wildly popular and, and more people use that than the Facebook uh, Messenger app, will eventually just be folded into this experience. And I think it'll look better, honestly. Yeah, I think it will it will look great. Like I said, I never expected to use it as much as I am, but uh, a couple of the enhancement, enhancements, like I mentioned, uh, in terms of improvements with photos and videos, users can now take photos from within the app and also attach videos from the camera roll into messages. So more not just about sending uh, text messages, but also sending images and videos in just a more streamlined way. The only thing I can say is uh, I uh, just sort of for testing purposes, uh, because group chatting has also uh, gotten so many enhancements, just sort of easier to put together a, a, a group and, and, and add a bunch of people. I made one uh, that was a bunch of people in my family. And they were actually my family members. And my mom wrote back and said, oh, this is a new thing now that Facebook is texting me. And I was like, well, Facebook's definitely not texting you. What are you seeing? Are you seeing a notification that I made a group? And so that was a little bit... I, it still it was interesting to see that there was some confusion among some of my family members about what I was doing. I had to tell them I'm just doing I'm just testing some, <laughs> some features for work. Please uh, please disregard my new uh, group chat. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 fully featured. You have uh, the ability to voice call people, send voice messages, videos, like you mentioned. It's. It's, it's, it's worth a whirl if you are in the Facebook universe at all and, and you communicate with people uh, inside it. Yeah, and you might as well get used to it now because Facebook will be phasing out these capabilities within the Facebook service. You're going to have to use Messenger to have any type of messaging conversation. So you may as well try it now. They haven't released an exact date when they're planning to fully separate things, but I anticipate it's in the next few months. I think for me, it's about 50 percent of my uh, friends on Facebook are currently using the app, and the other fifty percent, I'm not sure if they know exactly what's going on. Yeah, I, I there are people every day who are like, well, well what do you mean? And I said, well, it's a standalone app. Ah, well, just never mind. Eventually, eventually you'll know about it because you'll have to. So exactly. what about Snapchat now also introducing video chat and instant messaging? Snapchat is, it's well, it's a little bit of a, you can think of it as a way to communicate via messages, but it's not instant Hmm. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. You know, I, I've watched the video that we're playing now for our uh, video watchers where they explain how exactly this works. So uh, it's gone beyond just uh, quickly sharing uh, images that will disappear, but instead about messaging and also video messaging. So our video conferencing, I should say, because the reality is they've made it easier. The capability is there now. So you can do a video chat with someone. And what will happen is the blue button at the bottom of your screen will light up saying someone wants to have that video chat. And there's a couple of neat features 
features built into this. So not only can you chat uh, using your uh, camera, the front-facing camera, but you can also use the rear-facing camera by simply sliding up your little icon up to mm. the, the top half of your screen, and then you can show people what you're looking at. So it's it's just a little tweak that I think Snapchat has added to uh, probably uh, entice maybe even a younger generation who want to do more of that kind of thing. That is interesting, especially... I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I love Snapchat, but I, I don't know that many of my friends who are really that into it. I have, you know, we have a group of friends who send each other silly little videos or photos. I guess I like the idea in general of being able to do real-time video chatting or chatting within the app, but it does complicate things. And yeah, maybe Snapchat just sort of has to do this because they have to compete with other messaging apps like the Facebooks and the WhatsApps and and FaceTime, and, of course. Too. Yeah, and that and that too. But it it's it, then it kind of turns into like, well, okay, what is Snapchat exactly? It's all of these things, but it's still those messages that go away after five seconds. And I mean, I guess none of these real time chats are going to be archived either, so it's still the same idea, but. It's. I guess it's just Snapchat realizing that it needs more features, or you know, the, its growth will stagnate. The only thing that I can't really understand uh, is when you actually are having a video chat with someone. So you're holding onto your icon, your image, your sort of headshot or profile at the bottom of the screen. Like I said, you can drag it up to switch the camera. But as far as I understand it, you have to keep your finger on the screen so that person can continue to see whatever you want them to see, what, whatever camera you choose. And that that I think is a little bit odd. And I don't know if there's anyone in the chat room who can verify that. But my sense was you can still have a video chat and see the other person if you let go and take your finger off the screen. But if you want them to see through your camera, you have to keep holding the screen. Kind well, of bizarre to it, yeah, that doesn't surprise me because if I want to see a, you know, a photo that somebody sent to me, I've got to do the same thing on my end. So maybe Snapchat just thinks, well, they, people are sort of used to that anyway. Um, it, but but yeah, it's it's a little bit limiting when you start getting into the live arena because it doesn't. Yeah, then you're using work. two hands at a, at all times. Exactly. I mean, I think people have enough trouble right now doing video chats and understanding where to look and how to hold the camera and staying steady. The fact that you have to keep your finger on the screen for that to me seems like I don't know how they tested it out, but I guarantee you the video will never be as steady as they showcase in their little demo reel that we showed off. Which yeah, exactly. It looked very nice, but again, you this know, is never. This Snapchat. Snapchat is never. I wouldn't call it a slick experience, but, but you know, maybe maybe they realize that, and that's what we're uh, we're going to see evolve and change over time. All right, let's move on to a little Twitter news. Uh, this one comes from theAtlantic.com, uh, and there is a value uh, that has been placed on the idea that I might say something nice about. Um, Delta Airlines uh, that I used over the weekend. I actually have nothing nice to say about them because my flight was delayed 40 times on Sunday, but let's just say I said something nice. What would be the value put on that tweet? Yeah, this is an interesting article. I'm a big fan of The Atlantic, and this is a based, on, based on a study that someone did where they analyzed thousands and thousands of messages and reviews that were going across social media channels, and they determined numbers as far as the value of a positive tweet saying in the particular headline, it says $22.26. And they're not talking exactly about the value of the tweet, but they're talking about how much more someone is willing to pay, it, let's say it's for an iPad. If they've had uh, some type of interaction with someone that has been positive, they would pay up to $22.26 more if they had that positive interaction. Now, 
Sarah, this is the most confusing article I've ever read. Like I said, I'm a fan of The Atlantic and I read it probably three or four times and it's kind of confusing to figure out exactly what they mean and, and their point of it all. And there's only one paragraph towards the bottom that starts with this and I'll just read it. It says, another way to look at this dynamic, positive reviews are more positive in person and negative reviews are more negative online. So the idea being that we trust our friends' good taste and tend to seek second opinions when someone's miffed about some something that they're uh-huh. planning to purchase or buy. So that's how they got to this $22.26. Just one of many numbers that they share in the report. Okay, so it's a little bit of a... It's, it's, it's more of a conceptual number. Uh, but that is interesting. And I think that there is something to that. So positive review is is maybe it's because negative reviews to catch your attention a little bit more so they work better online but um a positive review that's yeah if you and i are sitting around and you say ah that that nail salon is just great they're awesome and i say oh awesome that's that's fine but if you have an issue with it and you were to take to the internet for example more people would get something out of that Am I understanding that correctly? I think it it is like that. I mean, it reminds me, if you have read any books about people who have fears or phobias, what they tend to do is they tend to fuel those fears. Like if you're afraid to fly, then you'll go online and you'll find all these stats about why it's not safe to fly. And I think the same applies to some of the negative reviews that people find online is that they're kind of looking for that fuel to beef up their reasoning for being miffed or upset about something. So it just adds, you know, it's like the snowball effect. So that was my take in terms of the whole article. But generally speaking, I think the headline is a a bit misleading, although I imagine marketers are going to take this and run with it because it probably looks good if they're uh, interacting on social and have numbers like this. Yeah. Yes. 2226, you know, collectively, you know, there's a lot of money being paid out, even though it's not really happening. But yeah, but but yes, positive tweets. It's interesting. Um, the way I feel about that sort of thing, it's like I feel like I have to be really, really upset about something to kind of take to the internet and 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 try to get some feedback from friends and strangers about something bad that happened to me that I can you know, that, that I can blame somebody else for. It's not that often that I would do the same thing for a positive experience. Um, and maybe maybe that's just the nature of people is when you're upset, you kind of want to tell it on a mountain. And if you're happy, then yeah, you might mention it next time you see a friend. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's worth a read. So head into our show notes and uh, look through the article, but don't expect to understand it uh, with one read. You may have to dive in <laughs> a little bit further, unfortunately. All right, let's move on to football. Uh, well, we're, we're going back to Snapchat. Um, this article from Ad Age is talking about uh, NFL teams who are who are making use of Snapchat stories. Yeah, this is interesting. So uh, we've seen this before. I think I talked uh, about the New Orleans Saints before, how they were using social media and doing a great job of interacting with their fans. And uh, many marketers are trying to figure out how to use Snapchat. In this particular case, they've posted, uh, these two NFL teams have posted their 2014 schedules on Snapchat. Now, they're using Snapchat stories, so I think we need to uh, specify that because obviously stories is the one place where marketers have had some success because they can last up to 24 hours there, so they're Mm -hmm. not disappearing in just a few seconds. But uh, nonetheless, kind of fun to see some of these uh, sports teams using some of these tools. Snapchat stories is interesting to me, and anybody who's who's unfamiliar with it, yeah, as, as Amber said, 
uh, you know, a Snapchat uh, picture that I might send to Amber, I say, you know, you can look at it for three seconds. A Snapchat story is something that, yes, is visible in a 24-hour period, and that's to everybody that's on my contact list, uh, my friends. And you can add to Snapchat stories. So let's say the New Orleans Saints, for example, they are showing... Well, we're not in football season right now. They're showing their their team, I don't know, in training or, you know, the draft or whatever. It's like you can actually put something that's sort of a montage of video and photos together uh, that that sort of shows what's going on over the course of a day. I feel like that makes much more sense for brands, really, than mm-hmm. people. And maybe I just don't have a lot of friends who are using Snapchat stories. But I've never quite figured out why it's compelling enough for me to participate. But... If I was following not just a brand, but, you know, a celebrity or somebody that I really admire and they were prolific and I got to see a window into their world, I think I would really appreciate that. So it's it's kind of cool to see, a you know, obviously a popular franchise that has mm-hmm. a lot of really, really interested fans uh, taking advantage of something that's really new. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's going to make sense when you have, let's say, for example, retailers who are using Snapchat. And I know there are a couple experimenting now, but if they want to do things like have flash sales, right, for the next 24 hours, we're going to have a sale or we want to interact with our fans in this way. It's really that, uh, you know, it's not a long term strategy as far as uh, having some type of campaign that lasts weeks and weeks, but instead these short little campaigns that people want to push out and just get get people almost in real time to check them out and know that there's an end point for whatever content that they're sharing. All right, let's move on to a little Wi-Fi news uh, from uh, the... Uh, what, Amber, by the way, what did you say last night? It was some sort of a hockey term about the North. Go North. Oh, we the North. We the North. Yes, that's the uh, uh, NBA team, the Raptors, oh, the Toronto Raptors, whoops. who won last night. No, oh, it's okay. Good. So um, Drake, okay. I don't know. Drake, who is from Toronto, he's kind of uh, affiliated with the team as a spokesperson, almost oh. like a real-life mascot. So he's at all the games. And, uh, of course, last night was a very tight game. And there's this big campaign in Toronto that uh, is We the North, hashtag We the North. And oh, it's I love just it. kind of a fun one. So, God, it shows uh, how much I know about the NBA and hockey. Ooh. It's well, okay. I don't. I don't watch uh, sports, but that was a good game. <laughs> well, anything that Drake is associated with, I automatically like. So we the North. Go Raptors. Yeah, he's awesome. So, yeah, so that's what that was all about. So, yeah, we're going to talk just a bit about uh, Google Glass as our tip of the week. Uh, I do not have Glass, Sarah. Do you? Or I know you've played with Google Glass before. You know, Jason Howell had a unit. I'm not sure if he still does. But, yes, he let me wear them uh, on the social hour, uh, however long ago that was. And it was kind of fascinating. But, no, I I didn't like them enough to get my own pair because it's kind of expensive, $1,500. Yeah. And I also don't really like the way that they look, so I didn't want to be judged. And at least in my city, that people are getting assaulted for wearing them. So it's just like, you know what? I don't think they're ready for my prime time yet. But uh, but Google, I mean, it is. It's a fascinatingly cool technology. It just it just needs some ironing out, I think, before we all get on board. Yeah, and of course, this is just a quick little tip because obviously if you have an Android device, it's going to play better with Google Glass. Although, of course, people who are on iOS devices want to also have a great experience. But until now, it was difficult to get all of your notifications if you're on an iPhone within the Google Glass environment. And this article on GigaOM, basically, it's a quick little tip, a hack that someone found uh, essentially by mistake where what they had done is they installed uh, this uh, app called uh, MetaWatch Manager and it was a way for them to 
via Bluetooth sync all of their iOS notifications to Google Glass. And uh, just a simple little tip we'll put in the show notes. So I don't have Google Glass, but for anyone who does and you want to use uh, an iPhone, this may be helpful. Very helpful. Yeah, the two working together. I, I think that's almost always a good thing. I would like uh, my iOS and my Android Uh, whether it's glass or not, experiences to be a little bit more closely linked. Okay, so back to Canada. Um, Why are Canadians, Amber, upset with with Parks Canada adding Wi-Fi hotspots to recreational areas? Isn't that, in what way would that be a bad thing? I know. Here's the thing. So I thought for a router fad this week would be interesting to uh, get your opinion on this because a lot of people are up in arms. They don't like the idea that there will be Wi-Fi in our national parks. It turns out that Parks Canada, which is a national organization, has plans to roll out uh, hotspots in uh, as many as 150 locations in the next three years. And for some reason, people just latched onto this, especially through social media channels, and they just hated this idea. They think that you should be totally disconnected when you're out in the wilderness and and uh, it should be a place where you're free of having to talk to anyone or get messages. So I don't know. I am of the opposite feeling. If I get lost, I would like to know I could find my way home. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it sounds like Park Canada is saying, listen, this is not going to be in the backcountry. It's not going to be out in the wilderness. You're not going to, uh, you know, p- pitch a tent with your family, you know, next to a waterfall. And then the, the family next to you is all yakking on their phones and, and, and on their iPads. But it does seem like, well, I guess I can see it both ways. It, it, and I'm not so crazy about the idea of being disconnected either, ever. But uh, and I think, well, it's my choice, right? Give me Wi-Fi yeah. and then I can use it if I want to or not. But I think it's more of that like disruptive part of it is that often when you're out camping or enjoying a national park of some kind, you're not alone. And if you've got technology, there's inevitably going to be someone near you who is using it in an obnoxious way, because that's sort of the way it happens in urban areas or suburban areas or whenever people are around. That That's just sort of the way it goes this, these days. So I can kind of see that. But at the same time, the safety aspect of things is really important, or just being able to I don't know, get a hold of somebody and say, listen, we're going to be three hours late and, you you know, you might not have phone service, but you've got Wi-Fi. Eh. It's hard to escape it, right? I mean, I think that's the way that things are going, unfortunately. If you really hate it, I mean, there are lots of places to go where you can probably get away from it and you can turn off your phone. You're not forced to use Wi-Fi. So uh, I, I get, you know, people's initial reaction think, oh, this is ridiculous. Why do people have to be so connected? But Unfortunately, this is the world that we live in today. And I think for Parks Canada, they're probably just thinking this will attract more people to some of their parks. And I think it will do exactly that. And I think a lot of people do agree with that. Well, Canadian campers and hikers, it's just the way of the future. And I guess, yeah, I guess if you really want to escape it, then you have to go to the backcountry because that's not where the (laughs) Wi-Fi hotspots are going to be anyway. A really tall urban building where you don't get any reception. I sus- the opposite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I suspect that around you know more popular lakes and areas and and where all the you know the the campers are, where the bathrooms are, and and picnic tables, uh, it's 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 going to be appreciated. Somebody's going to say, oh, "Thank gosh, we have Wi-Fi after all," because yeah. We needed it. Exactly. We always need it. Uh, quick reminder uh, for anybody who's not watching us live that we do record the social hour live on Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time. That's Amber's time uh, over on the East Coast. Uh, do watch us live if you can. But, of course, if you can't, 
where really, you know, we know most of you just watch whenever you want to on demand. And the way that you can keep up with us if you ever miss a show or want to make sure that you subscribe to not miss next week's show is twit.tv slash T-S-H. That's where all of our archives live. Uh, where all of our show notes are, you know, we, we mentioned the Atlantic article um, from uh, from from earlier in the week uh, uh, about the the tweet, the tweet that was uh, twenty uh, two dollars and twenty six cents. And Amber said it's a really convoluted article. Actually, I had to read it a few <laughs> times. We'll have that in our show notes as well. Gina Bianchini uh, was uh, was our guest last week of Mighty Bell, and it was a really really interesting talk. So if you missed that, TSH. Yeah, twitch.tv slash TSH is where, where you go and, uh, and catch up with us, Gina Bianchini of Mighty Bell, which Amber, since, since last week, I've, I've joined a couple of circles and oh, I've been cool. getting notifications and I'm really liking it. So awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, everybody won. All right, we do have a guest, Julian Smith, who's the founder of Breather, who's going to be joining us in just a second. But first, we want to thank 99designs for sponsoring this episode of The Social Hour. So, all right. So if you want good content and navigability that's awesome, those are assets to a great website, right? If you've got something that looks good, you can get around, you know where all your links are. That's exactly right. But to make something like that, that's perfect for your visitors, that can be a challenge. Maybe you don't really know how a website, you know, you want to make something that looks really awesome and works really well, has great design that that grabs your eye. All of those elements come together and make something special. But maybe you don't feel like you or possibly your team, small team, large team, sole proprietor, whatever, you need a little bit of help. Where do you go? Go to 99designs. What what you will do is you will be hooked up with a variety of designers who can help bring your project to life. You want to be better than your competitors, right? Two billion people are online. You want a really great web design and you want to get noticed. Your business is open all of the time. But you don't have to necessarily be there. Once 99designs puts together a beautiful website for you, your customers feel like you're always there, but you don't actually have to be there all the time because your website is up and it's got great, friendly, professional design. That also saves you money because compared to the costs of traditional advertising, like print, a website is obviously one of the most cost-effective ways to promote your business. You have to have that presence, but you want it to look and, 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 and perform well. Have a great design, a great user experience. You can get that compelling website at 99designs where dozens of great designers compete to deliver you the best design. What you do is go to 99designs.com. That's 99designs.com slash social hour. And that particular URL will get you a little free gift, a $99 Power Pack of services, completely free. Power Pack gives you more design or time and attention. 99designs will highlight and feature your design in 99designs Marketplace. You'll get twice as many designs, which is good, because that's that means you have twice as many to choose from, and there's a greater likelihood that you will have the perfect design that you've always wanted, always wanted, but weren't able to make yourself. Visit 99designs.com slash social hour. And thanks to 99designs for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amber, shall we bring in our guest now? Yeah, let's do it. We have Julian Smith, who is joining us, who is the CEO of Breather. I've known Julian for a while. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, man. 
Awesome. And by man, I mean so, girls. <laughs> that's okay. We know what you meant, Julian. It's all good. <laughs> uh, I guess we should launch right in and get you to explain what Breather is because it's probably one of the, the most unique concepts that I've seen over the past year for sure. Thanks for that. I mean, uh, the way that we do things is we basically like Breather is essentially a network of rooms that you can unlock with your phone at any time. It's very simple. So you're in New York or you're in Montreal, or you're in San Francisco, or you're anywhere else. And the way that it works is, is you've got an app on your phone. You can download an app and just with the touch of a button, it will literally unlock the door. So what that means is at any time, you basically have access to private space. So you can you know get Wi-Fi, so you can charge your phone, so you can be on a phone call, so you can do whatever you want. And you can do that in essence without having to talk to anyone. So it really is like access to your own space anytime that you want it. How does how how do these how do these keys physically unlock, or is that more of a you know this some sort of a handshake between somebody who would then give you a set of keys if you wanted to unlock a room and 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 make a phone call or, or charge a device for thirty minutes? No, it's actually it's uh, we work with electronic locks, so you basically have access to the app only, and the app is the only thing that you interact with. When you come to the door, you get a unique code. It's different every time. And then you have the ability to just literally unlock the door. You walk up to it, the door unlocks itself, and you go into the room, boom, it's yours. And where do the rooms come from? Because this is the thing that I've been reading a little bit online to figure out what is your expectation of the rooms? How do they differ from one another? I mean, I'm guessing none are the same. Uh, How do you source those? I mean, it's fundamentally office space, right, Amber? But at the same time, if you were to walk into a a room that you had sort of rented for two or three hours so you could hang out for a little while, you would find yourself in a place probably you'd be like, wait, you know, this is a conference table. It's not exactly what I wanted. So it's almost like our places are little lounges. And you basically means you have a desk, you have a couch, you have the ability for three or four people to get some work done or just to hang out or whatever. And they're always in commercial buildings. So they're not really apartments or anything like that. But even though they're offices, they're sort of set up almost like little homes that you can spend time in and you could take your, your shoes off and relax or whatever. That was actually going to be my next question. I, I you know, we, we've talked about Airbnb um, and services like that on the past uh, in the show. You mentioned it's, it's, it's not so much a home. It's more of a, a place to, to get professional work done. But if you uh, run out of space for an entire day, do you have mm-hmm. people who are using it sort of as a place to crash or is that really frowned upon? And, and if so, how do you make sure people aren't using it that way? Well, I mean, like, the, the spaces are closed overnight, right? But theoretically, there are people in the space from 6 o'clock in the morning all the way till about 10 at night, and then with cleans every single time in between reservations. So someone at 6 a.m. could have just gotten off a red-eye flight and their hotel room isn't ready or something like that. So they would rent breather for two or three hours to get some work done and maybe lie down for a second. And then a cleaner would come in. And then right after that, someone would come in and for an hour or two, they'd be on phone calls and get some work done. And it just goes on and on like that for the whole day. So sometimes it's students. Sometimes it's actually like actors or musicians that go in to rehearse. And then sometimes it's people, you know, that, that sell their clothes inside because they, they can't sell their clothes in their own home. They can't sell their clothes in the store and they can't really do it in Starbucks. So it's like we have this space and just people just go in there for whatever reason they want. And how did you come up with this idea? I think, you know, we've just been obsessed with private space for a really long time. So me and my co-founder has been thinking about space. I Before this, I mean, Amber, you know this, but like you and I go back because of the fact that I was a writer for so long. So I meant I was traveling all over the world 
going to events and just being in like foreign cities constantly without having any idea where it was that I would be going. So I'd go to an event and then, you know, for hours on end, I'd be like, I have no idea where to go, no idea where to go. So I just thought, you know, like I need space and I need it to be sort of high trust. I need people to feel comfortable about that space and so that anyone can always go and they can always trust that it's going to be a nice space to go to. So in a way, I was kind of scratching my own itch. And I thought, well, maybe this is a thing that other people want. And as it turns out, it really is a thing that that a lot of people want. This is uh, currently available in Montreal and New York. Is that correct? Yeah, with San Francisco launching in about two or three weeks or so. Oh, that's exciting. I, I Well, I mean, I live in San Francisco, so I don't need that many meeting spaces. But I know a lot of people who, who would take advantage of it. How do you figure out... Uh, where the best rollout cities are. I mean, clearly Montreal, New York, San Francisco makes a lot of sense, especially because there are just so many people who are kind of mobile and understand how apps work. But what cities work better than others and why? I mean, you could really see it like a rollout like Uber, right? And in a way, the, the companies are pretty parallel to each other. We have advisors from the same company and so on. So, I mean, you can look at density, you can look at population, you can look at, you know, how much money people make uh, in certain cities versus others. And you can really look at it and go, oh, and you know, also how much people travel to those those cities. So New York's obvious, San Francisco obvious, D.C. is obvious. But we get offers for space probably all over the world, you know, from Australia to Paris to everywhere. And it's interesting because once a network begins to build, you can actually start using it in every city that you go to. I have to laugh because I was looking on the Breather website earlier today, and I'm sorry to come back to this uh, question again, but you have a really cute uh, FAQ section on the site, and someone had <laughs> asked, how do you ensure that uh, nothing inappropriate happens in some of these Breather spaces? And I'm guessing, <laughs> like you said, it's got to be about trust and, and policies that you've put in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I haven't looked at that FAQ in a really long time, but <laughs> it's true. You're really like, you're you're... <laughs> We, we think a lot about how new services are disruptive. And when a new service is disruptive, people flip out about something. You know, they flipped out about Snapchat. They flip out about Kickstarter and compare it to homeless people begging on the street for change. News picks up on all kinds of different stuff. So, of course, when they picked up on Breather, they're like, hold on. And they immediately think of the only other thing in the world that's hourly, which is like probably a sketchy motel or something like that. So... <laughs> When, when it, the reality is when you have a disruptive service, people go, hold on, and they start, you know, thinking their own things. In reality, you know, we know there's, there's a lot of users on our service, a lot. But at the same time, we, you know, there's cleaners that see them all the time and all these things. So I would say it's really a perception issue. When something is new, it gets seen in a certain way, and then eventually you get over it. How do you vet uh, who should be part of the network? You say you're launching in San Francisco in a few weeks. What if I said, well, I mean, it's a private home, but I do have a room that's definitely just my office where you could close the door and have it be your own space. How do you figure out what's right for Breather and what isn't? So we actually, we, I got exactly an email. But the way that we look at it is we always think, okay, well, first of all, I mean, if it's, if, if it is in residential space, it's probably illegal, you know? And, uh, you know, Airbnb has the ability to sort of manage that pretty well, but we're still a pretty small startup. So we stay inside of commercial space is the first thing. And the second thing is, is a lot of these sort of experiments with companies like this, when they go, oh, you know, I'm going to make an Airbnb for office space, which could be a comparison that you would make here. They just choose any old office space. And then you can just imagine, you know, the first time you use this, you'd be like, You'd rent some random place, you'd come to it, and you'd be like, wow, it's mm. really ugly in here, and you'd never come back again. 
so a lot of it has to do with just the way the space feels and how much we like it and stuff like that. We're really selective about it to make sure that the experience is consistently good. What kind of uh, shift has this been for you? Because like you said, you've been a writer for a long time. You've been a New York Times bestselling author. And uh, now you're running a company, a startup. You've raised some money over a million dollars, as I've read online. Can you talk about the, the shift for you in this experience and how you're enjoying it? Uh, you know, for a long time, there's a bunch of us, right? Like, like we all know the same people. They're just like we're on shows all the time. We have blogs that might be popular. Uh, we do speaking gigs and things like that. But at the end of the day, there's a huge difference between – I noticed myself that I was like, uh, I really talk about the future. I really uh, present sort of a vision of what the future is like or whatever. It's time for me to make a bet about what the future is. And that was a big moment for me where I thought, yeah, this is a – this is a sure enough vision of the future, what I'm talking about with Breather right now, that it will definitely happen, and I definitely should put my effort, a lot of it, when you start a startup, it's, it's a huge effort, and I sh we should put money behind it and all these things. So you really move into this mode uh, away from journalism or away from just being like punditry and into all-in mode, which is kind of like put all the chips on the table. So it's a big change. You know, it... As I'm, as I'm kind of thinking through the concept, you know, my first reaction is, oh, this is for people who are traveling. You know, you're traveling for work. Uh, you, yeah, your hotel isn't ready or you need to entertain a client or have a nice uh, quiet space to have a phone call. But it also seems like even if it was in uh, the same city that you live in, it, it competes more with co-working spaces because you might just need a real kind of office sometimes, not all day though, and you don't really want to share it with anybody, but you don't actually need to lease your own office space to go to work uh, you know, from a nine to five uh, time, uh, five days a week. Right, so yeah, you, you would think first of all, oh, this is for sure for tourists, but at the end of the day, uh, the majority of the people that use the service are actually locals. So even if you think about San Francisco, you think about Manhattan or whatever, you could be uptown, downtown, you could be in a certain section of the of the city, and the reality is, is I don't think that we compete with, you, you mentioned co-working, I don't think that we compete with co-working, I think I compete with Starbucks, because Starbucks is that place that everyone goes where they need a plug and Wi-Fi to be able to sit down for a couple hours or to meet someone. And the reality is, is just, you know, at some point you just go, you know, I'm tired of the dude yelling on Skype right next to me in like Armenian. I'm tired of the children on the opposite side that are sort of shouting in this coffee shop. I, I don't need more caffeine. I, all I really need is a place to go. And, uh, you know, we, like I said, we have a lot of customers. That's really what the perception is. I get emails literally that say, please save me from Starbucks. Please come to our town, save me from Starbucks. So I think that, you know, people, are, people just want space for where it's they can feel I, I, you, you, know, you mentioned Starbucks. Um, the, the local coffee shop near me is not a Starbucks, but it's the same thing where I think, mm -hmm. well, if I go there and have a meeting, I have to buy a coffee or it's inappropriate for me to be there. And I really don't want one. <laughs> like, yeah. My 4 p.m. meeting, it's like I don't actually want to be at a coffee shop because I don't want to eat. And mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's going to be loud, but, it's, but it's, 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 it's a better alternative than having to entertain somebody in professional sense in my own living room because that doesn't seem very professional. And, uh, and yeah, there, there could be a, a place to unlock that's right down the street. Yeah, and I mean, the real magic is when you put electronic locks with, with mobile phones, right? So now everyone's walking around with a key 
a digital key basically on their phone that can unlock any door that we choose. So it's kind of interesting in a vague way when you think, oh, I can unlock my front door with my phone. That's kind of exciting and that'll make the news. But it's way more exciting if you can unlock a hundred doors in your city with your phone or a thousand doors in your city with your phone. Then it becomes a real transformative thing and that can, you know, just change your entire behavior about how it is that you're going to, how you're going to walk around, what places you're going to choose to spend time in, things like that. Just out of curiosity, is there one breather space that you've been to or you've seen that uh, it kind of blows the rest away? I mean, I'd like the surprise element of it all, you know, going and opening a door and not knowing what you're getting. It's true. You know, uh, one of our board members said something like, the first time you go into breather, you're always, you're surprised and you don't know what to expect. But then after you've been, every single time is always sort of a consistent look and feel. And uh, that first time is you're just like, you're shocked that such a private, nice space could exist in in the middle of a downtown city and you have access to it. So, I mean, we have one on, in the near the Flatiron Building in Manhattan on I think Broadway and like 27th that I'm always running around because that's kind of Silicon Alley or whatever in New York City. And I'm always running around in that area. And then just any time that I have know half an hour and i just want to spend time not in the streets and not at a cafe that's what you do and so it's great because it just really turns a city into a bunch of little secret locations you can choose to go to anytime not to get too into the you know the 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 back end of it all but what do you say to people who say if you've got a phone that can unlock (laughs) all these these doors and get into space how do you deal with the the security aspect of this and and possible fraud no, it's actually super easy. Well, I mean, our, our 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 app only unlocks the door for a certain time, right? So if you reserve between 3.30 and 4.30 on a Tuesday, we'll really only get a code between 3.30 and 4.30 on a Tuesday. So even if you come back an hour later and you try to unlock the door again, it won't work. Uh-huh. So we securely give that key to you for a short period of time. And then afterwards, it just doesn't work anymore. So we could do that hundreds of times a day to, you know, thousands of different locations, and it's always secure. So we really... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's cool tech. It's interesting, but and it's totally secure, really. Yeah. So if somebody stole my phone and somehow knew that I was in the space earlier, it's not like they can go squat there because they just can't yeah, open it all, anymore. Yeah. They could also order, you know, three hundred dollars worth of Uber taxis. What's like, <laughs> out about all these things? I think I think it's pretty, you know, pretty remote idea. And as far as pricing, what would be uh, kind of high and low end as far as prices? Uh, cost 25 bucks in New York, cost a little bit less in Canada. And uh, every city is basically based on real estate prices. So in San Francisco, we're not really sure yet, even though we're launching really soon. But we always try to make it as affordable as possible so regular people can can use our service. Very cool. Well, uh, speaking of Montreal, I'm actually heading there very shortly. So uh, cool. <laughs> I don't know if I'll get to see you, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I'll be thinking about you. I'll be trying to find if some breather spaces because I know what you mean when you say you're in a new city and you're looking around and you don't know where to go. And half the time I just go to the airport and sit in a really noisy uh, uh, terminal. So it's nice to know these spaces exist. Yeah, it's uh, the same as me. I was in the airport yesterday. I did the exact same thing. So I can totally relate. Hope we get to see you <laughs> Well, I'm excited for the San Francisco launch, uh, Julian. Uh, and thanks for making uh, my city your third city. Uh, it's funny. I have, a lu- I have a lunch meeting tomorrow, and I, I don't, we don't really need it to be a lunch meeting. I, I wish I had Breather, but uh, it'll come soon <laughs> enough. But thanks so much for talking to us, telling us a little bit more about how Breather works, and, uh, and letting the uh, folks at home know uh, about your app. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Thanks so much, Julian. I'll talk to you soon. Julian Smith, the founder at Breather. Have a great weekend. All right, Amber. Well, I think we're coming to the end of our hour. I know you've got a train to catch to go to Montreal yourself. But I uh, just wanted to mention really quickly before we go, uh, this is sort of a you know a little teaser for some of the stuff we'll talk about next week. Foursquare, this uh, news came, came in kind of right when the show was starting, is splitting into two apps. It's funny, Foursquare has been, uh, has been changing, kind of evolving for some time between that whole check-in, be the mayor of your coffee shop type of a thing, and a discovery app. Looks like uh, the new way that it'll work is Foursquare turns into the discovery app, and then Swarm is the new kind of social gaming aspect of it. Uh, I guess Amber Foursquare realized we really have to we have to create two different experiences because you know it's it's a little bit confusing having having this app that you know kind of keeps pivoting on itself. So I feel like I can spend the next week checking this out because I'm still yeah. a pretty pr- pretty happy Foursquare user. I am the mayor of my local coffee shop, and that better not change. Oh. Um, and then we can talk about it in a week. Very cool. We'll definitely talk about that next week. I know I just saw that before the show started. So uh, an interesting headline for sure to see the split happening with them. So uh, it was a fun show, though, Sarah. Great uh, content, lots to talk about. And I'm Loved sure there'll it. be lots to talk about next week. I have to find a guest for next week, but it's never it's not hard to find guests. But if anyone has suggestions, please do let us know. You can email us uh, or let us know on Twitter. I'm at Amber Mack and Sarah's at Sarah Lane. And uh, we have had a pretty good run of guests. And I know there are lots more people doing cool stuff in the social space. Absolutely, yeah. Amber and I are, are really on a roll uh, with the guests, um, so uh, keep the keep the um, the suggestions coming. Uh, we we love to have those suggestions, story stories that you want us to talk about, apps you'd like us to cover, guests that you'd like us to book. Uh, the Social Hour at Twit.tv is a great way to get a hold of us. Uh, but I think that's it for this edition of the Social Hour. We kept it to just about an hour, Amber, and you can make that train. Thanks to everybody for watching. Remember, we are live on Thursdays, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Until next Thursday, where we'll be back here again. I'm Sarah Lane. And I'm Amber MacArthur, and we'll see you soon.